BFM 89.9, good morning. It's 7.06 a.m. on Wednesday, the 8th of November. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning. In half an hour, we're going to discuss what's weighing down the growth prospects of the Indonesian economy. But as always, we're going to kickstart this Wednesday morning with a recap on how global markets closed overnight. It's really a tale of two halves because the U.S. markets all ended in the green. The Dow was up 0.2%, S&P 500 up. 0.3% and tech-heavy Nasdaq was up by 0.9%. Meanwhile, in Asia, all were in the red. Nikkei was down 1.3%, Hang Seng down 1.7%, Shanghai Composite down marginally by 0.04%, Straits Times Index in Singapore down by 0.2%, and our very own FBMKLCI was down by 0.1%. So for some thoughts on what's moving international markets, we have on the line with us Carlos Casanova, Senior Economist with UB. Good morning, Carlos. Thanks, as always, for joining us. So if we take a look at the recent U.S. job numbers, uh, they came in quite soft, which probably means that the Fed will hold off on rate hikes for a while, or at least that's what markets are hoping for. Do you think central banks in Asia are likely to follow suit? Or are there macro factors in this region uh, that uh, probably lend towards further increases? Very good morning, and thanks for having me. So we definitely have seen um, slightly more dovish commentary coming out of the Fed. Um, mind you, we, we still expect that rates will remain higher for longer, um, with the 10-year yield sort of averaging between 45 and 5% um, for at least another six months, um, if not longer. So we, we are not really expecting any cuts until um, second half, but um, the, the risks really are tilted um, towards a longer, um, a longer pause right now. Um, and that is going to continue to pause uh, threats for for Asian asset classes and also Asian central banks. Um, so we have seen very clearly that some Asian central banks have resumed hiking. A great example of that is Australia. Um, India averted the need to hike rates narrowly because of a, um, a cooling of food prices over the sort of September-October period. Um, but we can't exclude the possibility um, of further hikes in India. And of course, um, the big sort of central bank that is still tightening that everybody is talking about is Bank of Japan. Um, so we do see some economies in, in Asia that are may not be done yet with uh, policy tightening. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, you have markets like China, where um, the, the, there's the need to continue to ease policy further. So unlike Europe and the US, where we are going to see a prolonged pause, I think the landscape across central banks in Asia is a lot more diverse. Okay, so what drives the thinking of the central banks in Asia, albeit, like you say, it's very diverse? Do you think they are more concerned about inflation and perhaps for some of them the weakness of their own currencies versus trying to spur growth? Well, for most central banks in Asia, the main target is inflation. Um, and, uh, you know, RBA cited sticky mm. core inflation as the main reason for resuming rate hikes. Um in in November. So definitely it's, it's a factor to keep an eye out for. And um, what we observe is that across DMs, um, most of the inflation is driven by services. So sticky service inflation, much like what we are seeing in the US. Um, and that perhaps was stronger than what the RBA was initially anticipating. And I wouldn't even, you know, in the context of rates remaining higher for longer, and the US not cutting anytime soon, I wouldn't even, uh, you know, exclude the possibility that RBA has to do one more rate um hike in this cycle but that won't happen until um 2024 of course um so for the ends it's clearly a, a sort of core inflation argument what mm -hmm. we are seeing across the ends is this rate differential with the us um 
uh, is uh, no longer as wide or, or as narrow, sorry. Um, and that is fueling uh, outflows from um, DMs and also uh, leading to currency depreciation. So the currency argument is a little bit more relevant for DMs because it contributes to imported inflation. Most DM central banks don't um, specifically target um, the currency stability. There's one uh, exception, which is Indonesia. Indonesia has a mandate to, to target currency stability. So if we continue to see uh, US dollar strength, um, then some banks that you know need to think about currency stability will have to hike more. Okay, uh, Carlos, I know core inflation doesn't actually include energy prices, but we have seen it come down significantly in the past few weeks. Uh, it's WTI this morning, 77 US dollars a barrel. Doesn't it have some knock-on effect nonetheless on inflation as a whole? And wouldn't this Is give that, some respite to central bankers then? Yes, 100% agreed. I think it's good news for central banks. Um, there was, of course, uh, a lot of concern earlier um, you know, last month, that um, conflict in in Israel, uh, you know, it's the Middle East. Um, Iran was involved. There were talks about reducing um, or curbing supply of Iranian oil, and uh, unsure what Saudi Arabia would do. Um, you know, if there was a deterioration in Arab sentiment towards Israel, um, so most of those fears now seem to be somewhat abated. So. The expectation is that the conflict will remain regional and won't really affect oil supply. Um, and so oil prices have, have normalized somewhat towards the US dollar 70 per barrel range. Um, I, I think that we have some visibility uh, with the conflict and oil supply and demand dynamics to assume um, that um, we, we should be sort of fine for, for the next six months or so. But remember that these are issues that have are protracted, have been going on for a long time. And so I wouldn't exclude the possibility um, that geopolitical factors in the Middle East continue to drive volatility in oil prices in the years to come. But for the time being, it's good news for central banks because it's not going to exacerbate the energy part of headline inflation, which means that we can expect them to remain on hold. Um, but uh, I would say we have to be patient before we see uh, developed markets cutting interest rates again. Can we take a look at China? Because uh, China reported an unexpected drop in exports in October, while imports surprisingly rose for the month from a year ago. So what do these numbers tell you about China's economic recovery? So for, for me, honestly, the exports are more closely correlated with demand in the US. And we are seeing signs that US demand is broadening from services to services plus goods. Um, I, I interpret this more as a one-off that's been also affected with seasonal factors. So of course, um, you, you have um, the, the big uh, October 1st and also um, national holiday in China that takes place in the first and second week of October. Mm -hmm. So naturally manufacturing would have been closed and that might have affected export orders. There's also reports that, um, uh, you know, given a big pickup in demands for electronics, um, so sort of iPhone-related um, exports to the U.S. Um, some of the exporters were under pressure to lower prices. So excluding the price effect, um, reports cite that exports were unchanged in October relative to September. But for me, the trend is uh, this recovery in demand for goods from the U.S. combined with a stronger replacement cycle for iPhones um, should be supportive of Chinese exports to the U.S. in the months ahead. So I wouldn't read too much into the sort of drop in exports in October. Um, I think we will have a, a very sort of short-term respite um, uh, and we should expect to see stabilization in external demand in the months ahead. But a question remains, 
for the first, you know, I would say first half to middle of next year, um, whether or not we are going to see some degree of uh, softening in U.S. demand as we are seeing mixed data at the moment. If that's the case, then, you know, 2024 is just not going to be a stellar year for exports. So that would mark third third year of uh, weak export performance for China um, and the need for them to really pivot away from uh, exports as, as a growth driver. Mm. Carlos, thanks as always for the chat. That was Carlos Casanova, senior economist with UBP, giving us his take on some of the trends that he sees moving markets in the days and weeks ahead, helping us to understand the difference, uh, I suppose, different factors coming into play when it comes to central bank decision making uh, from US and Europe uh, versus those in Asia. A lot of variation in a way in terms of what central banks are mm. looking at uh, across this region. Yeah, interestingly, the rest of the EMs don't really keep an eye so much on their currencies except for Indonesia. Uh, they are, they have intervened in the currency market. We did see that. We did see reserves actually drop to, I think, the lowest in six months as on the back of that. Um, but we'll have a conversation later about the Indonesian economy at 7.30am, so do tune in for that. But let's talk about some of the interesting stocks, right, Shaz? A lot sure. of them on the docket. We have a lot of earnings reports on our table this morning, starting off with Uber. They have reported their second ever operating profit in the third quarter, thanks to an increase in demand for rides and delivery. Adjusted core profit of $1.09 billion US dollars beat expectations of $1.02 billion. However, net earnings per share missed estimates by two cents. What's two cents, Shawning, right? A lot. <laughs> Income from operations came in at $394 million, while gross bookings or the value of transactions on its app grew by 21% on year to $35.3 billion, exceeding analyst expectations. Okay, so let's break down the segments, right? So there are ride share business expect, excuse me, expanded faster than analysts expected. Delivery bookings also did better. Freight business, however, continues to struggle as a result. Now, in terms of forecast, they expect four quarter, fourth quarter adjusted core profit to be between $1.18 to $1.24 billion, above the estimates of $1.15. So that's pretty good news. Now, the stock's actually up 101% on a year-to-date basis, only only trading at 140 times PE shares. Can you beat that? Um, does the street like this name? Um, and the answer is pretty much going to be, I suspect, Yes, yes, 49 buys, two holes, um, no sells. Consensus target price for the stock, 59 US dollars and 49 cents. During regular trading hours, it was up $1.78 to 49 US dollars and 92 cents. This is, of course, the market leader clearly miles ahead of its nearest competitor, which is Lyft. So that's why it's got this premium valuation assigned to it. Market right. li- likes the bigger one, obviously. Well, Uber made profits for the first time this year, right? So I think what's we need to see if they can sustain this moving forward. Two quarters is great, but can they make it uh, for a subsequent third, fourth, fifth? And you say I'm the cynic. <laughs> well, you never know. Let's take a look at Rivian next. Uh, Rivian Automotive reported better than expected revenue and raised its production production forecast for the full year. Um, the EV maker also announced that they have ended their exclusivity agreement with Amazon.com for access to their battery electric vans, which means that uh, they can then supply these vans to other uh, purchasers. Uh, maybe that will help boost their numbers. Mm. Um, they still plan to honor their original deal with Amazon to deliver 100,000 vans to the e-commerce giant by 2030. But note that Amazon is also Rivian's biggest individual shareholder. They own about 16.8% 
2.4% of Rivian. Okay, so let's have a quick look at the results, right? The, re- the third quarter revenue came in at $1.34 billion, better than estimates of $1.33 billion. However, the company is still in a net loss position of $1.37 billion, which is lower than the $1.72 billion it reported a year ago. Production forecast for the full year has been raised from 52,000 vehicles to 54,000 vehicles. Now, the street is wondering, when is it um, the break-even point, Mm. right? When is it going to tip over into actually, well, not even making a profit, but just covering the operating expenditure? This, of course, is um, a stock, of course, contrasted with Tesla, which has done extremely well. But in terms of analyst recommendation, 17 buys, six holes, two sells, consensus target price for this stock, 27 US dollars and 55 cents. Last done, down 20, uh, sorry, up 24 cents to $17.42. The stock's down 5% on a year-to-date basis. I think Tesla is up by some crazy amount, but not, not as crazy as it used to be. Because, you know, Elon Musk a bit too busy with... His other distractions, mainly X. X, and don't forget there's been uh, headlines on Neuralink as well. Oh, yes. Uh, but, you know, it's 7.19 in the morning. Uh, let's head into some messages. We'll come back to cover more of the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9.